Alan Kring Productions, in association with the Emergent Light Studio, presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240 for Spring Semester 2023. Today, stocks and stock valuation. As I had mentioned previously, uh, you will have a surprise quiz on Monday of next week, so please be surprised by that. I wanted to have enough time to build up material for a good quiz, and then we'll have a quiz about every week going out just to get you ready for the final have some new questions and then uh, some review questions from old material just to keep you fresh for that final exam. can't believe we're coming close now. What, about a month away? And then I'll never see you again? Oh, anyway. Uh, here you go. Uh, try to keep myself hydrated here. Okay. I'll look at the numbers today, and you see a kind of a lackluster day. Oddly, uh, the Dow is up the strongest at 0.82%, uh, and then the S&P 500 is kind of lagging behind at maybe a third of a percent up, and then the NASDAQ is in negative territory. So this is kind of a flip of your typical day, uh, and it's primarily because Whatever good news there is, it's not good news for the smaller companies. So you're going to see this kind of low performance uh, expectations for those kinds of companies for the time being. Now, as you can see, crude is finding its way back into a trading band that was there between 72 and 79. It's groveling upward. I don't know how long it's going to stay, but... Gold is showing no happiness whatsoever. The gold bugs just aren't getting excited about the end of the world, so they're quiet. Save for silver, too. Now, as far as currencies go, the euro against the dollar, it takes a dollar, almost a dollar eight to buy a euro. Now, that some are saying, well, that's just going to keep going up as the dollar gets more and more worthless and there's all this rumbling I mean I just ran into another article last week there was an article about how the Indian rupee is going to replace the US dollar as the currency of the world as the world's uh, benchmark currency and then this week uh, you had the uh, talk about the um, euro was going to uh, wipe out the dollar and uh, I had a People who should know better, some of them were uh, DMing me on uh, LinkedIn about this talk about how, what is it, China, Russia, and Iran are conspiring to end the dollar's uh, dominance. And I thought, you've got the yuan, you've got the ruble, and you've got the uh, Iranian currency, and not one of those has a chance of doing that. And another thing that you also have to consider is that m many of the banks, central banks of the world, the Chi People's Bank of China, the bank uh, uh, that the Central Bank of Saudi Arabia, of the House of Saud, the um, Japanese Central Bank, and uh, all of those, the Canadian Central Bank, they, their central banks, the assets are dominated by. U.S. dollars and U.S. Uh, securities that were bought with those dollars. And so if any country decided, well, we're going to crash the dollar, that would essentially be the same thing as cutting off the tree that you are standing about a mile high in. So anything you hear about that is pure nonsense, simply because all of these banks of the world, their balance sheets are just overwhelmed with U.S. dollars and U.S. Treasury debt that was bought and lending us money uh, by these countries. So don't sweat that at all. 
uh, if you're going to do conspiracy theories, at least do ones that pass the bullshit test. London had a decent day up. It, something got the market kind of excited, and it had a long-term run up through the day as be, good news, not hugely good news, but good news kept pushing in. And then it kind of fizzled out, and then the market corrected and settled a little bit. The same was true prior over in Tokyo last night. There was kind of a slow grinding upward of good news, of positive sentiment, and then it kind of fizzled out towards the end. There wasn't any more reason to be happy, but there wasn't any reason to be really unhappy either. So the markets are not in a hugely excited mood, but there's certainly not some sense that the apocalypse is coming, notwithstanding these constant rumors about a recession. And just to reemphasize this, and I will ask this on the um, uh, on a quiz or maybe the final exam, just to give you, ask you if you do understand. I don't want that. Um, quit it. Uh, Google, I want to see. I'm going to pull over here. Uh, well, where the hell was it? I was wanting to go. Um, oh, yield curve. Go over here. And just to have Yiddy, <laughs> for God's sake. Oh, it's not as bad. There was one time, it's been some years back, when I was trying to find the days between two dates, because that's a, a, something you need for certain kinds of future value problems. And I, you know, and I wrote, typed into Google. I, I couldn't think, I was kind of in a rush. And I just typed in a very wrong search word for it. And it seemed like a logical thing to add, a search word to find a, 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 the number of days in a period. And, yeah, God, I've never closed a window so fast in my life. Okay, where the hell am I? Uh, yield curve, yeah, I can't. Okay, now, we're, uh, what I'm going to do, current month, this is March. You see that yield curve? It's just still sagging. It does not want, but it's like we have a very inverted yield curve. Historically, we don't see yield curves that go down for that many different maturities. And here we are looking at this yield curve that is essentially the iceberg yelling at the Titanic, hi, come here. And yet the economy doesn't seem to be showing signs of a recession. So you might be actually seeing a historical first, a yield curve that does not lead to an economic pause or recession. It's a mystery to a lot of us who rely on that as one of our best crystal balls. We will say one thing, though. Do you see right in here this band, and I think that's the 7, 10, and 20, is it? Um, five, maybe it's the five, yeah. It's the five, seven, and ten. Do you see how it's beginning to recover? It's trying to flatten and come back up. So there is some hint here that the yield curve, at least in the outer leg, is trying to find its way back from that disaster that it was in. We'll see, though. It's, it's speculative now, although I would still recommend that you, would, you might want to uh, get your job early on. The topic today is stocks and their valuation. That's this week. Now, a, a part of this is mathy, but it has another part that is actually not just um, useful to you as investors, but it's also... Um, what, what, what I want to say, it's also sort of an interesting story because this is where I get to tell you about 
what happens behind the scenes in corporate takeovers, hostile takeovers, mergers, and all of that. But it begins with the basic idea of what stock is, a share of stock. A share of stock. So you're a shareholder, a stockholder. Either way, you're an owner of the corporation. Equity is the fancy word for it. And a little background here, just to tell you how this a corporation comes into being. And I kind of went into this earlier, and I'll tell it to you again. Uh, and I've done this uh, actually in real life probably uh, at least 20 times and eight of those times were for my own uh, gigs but you start out a business you're just you do something um, mow lawns or walk pets or house sit you do something just by yourself and that means you're a sole proprietor you're, the company is you there is no difference between you and the company. <coughs> All you do is you fill out, when you do your taxes, there's this form that you'll fill out, a Schedule C, other income, and you list your uh, revenues and your expenses, and then that amount of money, uh, your bottom line, your profit, goes over to your 1040 as uh, other income. Then it gets taxed. And you'll fill out another form, too, called a Schedule SE. And you don't have to know these now, but if you ever come to me and say, I want to make a company, you'll, you'll know it very quickly. Uh, but the Schedule SE, the, that uh, profit you made in your company, it goes to the SE, and there you calculate your Social Security tax. And so two different numbers go to your 1040. One is your extra income that gets calculated, uh, goes along with your work income, your job income for taxes. And then that little tax number on from the Schedule SC goes down and adds to the tax you owe. And I mean, it's just like it's depressing because uh, you could make a, you know, a little bit of a coin, $10,000. By the time you end up having to pay the tax on that, the income tax on that, and also include the Social Security tax, well, you've lost a lot of money. And then it begins to occur to you, this is where real life comes into the pricing. You know, I didn't realize all these costs that I didn't even think of. I think of supplier costs and all that. But damn, there's these taxes that I have to pay too. And then I have to pay the state. And then I, if I don't think about it, there's a sales tax that I probably are going to get hit with, a state sales tax and a municipal sales tax. And by the end of the day, you realize that pricing isn't as easy as, you know, well, I think this is worth this much. You have to include these costs that you never kind of thought of before. So that kind of makes you a little sad there at the uh, end of the day. Okay, though, sole proprietorship. Well, that means that you are all at risk. If your job, this side gig of yours, uh, causes an accident, you are the one who will be sued. Your company won't be sued, you will be sued. And you are liable, you personally are liable for those taxes that you calculate and all that great stuff. So you can up the game if you want to. And you can create a corporation. Now here's, how, here's the basic idea. The corporation is established by these things called Articles of Incorporation. Back in the day, it was a sheet, maybe a couple of pages long, maybe even longer than that. It said what the company's name is, what its business address is, um, who's going to be, what's the address of the person who gets official mail, like lawsuits or, or ta revenue, tax, uh, or things like that, and you fill out some other um, 
things in there too. One very specific place in there, though, you declare the number of shares into which the capital of the corporation is divided. That's called the authorized stock outstanding. <coughs> authorized stock. Now, you can actually establish different classifications of this stock. Common stock, preferred stock, class A, class B. You can do all that in there. But just to make it simple. Now, once you have declared this, this is the limit on the number of shares that can ever be issued by the corporation. So you have to think pretty carefully because it would be a terribly difficult thing to change that number once you file the articles. Okay, yeah. It is the number of shares of stock that can ever be issued, the authorized. Now, it has two sides to it. In a corporation, you might say, well, I'm never going to issue more than a thousand shares. And you can put that down. Well, that's going to really limit you if you start to get big and you want to do an IPO. You're dead. The other side of it is, you could say it's 10 million, 100 million, a billion. You can say a number, you can't say infinity, but you can put it at a big number. So the first time that I ever did this, you know, I had my college and my uh, graduate training. I thought, yeah, I know how to do this. I'm gonna put in 100 million shares. And then I found out that the state in which I was incorporating tax had a franchise tax that was based on a per share. And so when I got my my franchise tax, I, my back leg nearly fell out of my pants. It hurt so bad. I mean, my God. Uh, I, you know, I just started blubbering. I, I had to actually, I had to just simply collapse the corporation. I couldn't afford it. Now, not all states are like this. But anyway, you, you've got to find the balance between enough shares forever in the corporation and not have so many that if you're in a state where there's a franchise tax that's per share basis. <sighs> yeah, about that. Okay, now the next thing. You package this up. What's very cool about it, back in the day, you had to fill out the Articles of Incorporation and file it with the Secretary of State in triplicate. Now here's the thing. The Articles of Incorporation are filed with the Secretary of State of the state in which you incorporate. In other words, corporations are state entities. They are not federal entities. There's no such thing as a federal corporation. You file in a state. The state of incorporation we say you are, your corporation is domestic in that state. In all other states, it is a foreign corporation. So in other words, my corporation, Emergent Light Studio Inc., was, is domestic in Illinois. I go down and do a show in, let's say, Missouri, or I go do a show in New York City. I am a foreign corporation. Not, not I. My company is foreign in those states. I'm a, I'm a foreigner in that, those states. Now, it seems a little odd, but it does have implications, especially, interestingly enough, in legal things. Like, for example, if I'm at a show in, let's say, St. Louis, and someone smashes one of my, my artworks and cuts, gets cut on the glass, the question is, in what state would, the, uh, would a lawsuit be filed? 
in, my, in the state I, in which I originated, I'm domestic, or in the state in which the incident happened. Now, there are some pretty, pretty solid rules about what, where it would be, but it's something to consider. Now, you can file in any state. A lot of times, back in my, when I was a consultant, companies, people would want to create a corporation. And um, there were some states that were good for incorporation. The state of Delaware has, is the classic state of incorporation. The reason is this. Delaware has an extraordinarily strong, ancient, stable corporation law framework. It even has a court system that is only for the corporations, overseen by its own set of judges called magistrates. So that's a reason you would want to file, you would want to incorporate in Delaware. There are other states that are pretty attractive too. And there are states you do not, under any circumstances, if you are in your right mind, want to file your, want to uh, incorporate in those states. Guarantee you. I won't mention any names, South Dakota, Florida, <coughs> uh, but you want to avoid those states. But there are states that are good for a number of reasons, yes. So if I was going to say I built a corporation here in Illinois, I've never been to Delaware, no part of my corporation has been to Delaware. I've never been to Delaware either, and I've incorporated five. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's, it's gotten, don't get me wrong, it used to be pretty cheap to create a corporation, the filing fees and all that, but states have gotten smart. Delaware, I mean, I think it's expensive AF now too, but still... I mean, you're under, you're under the corporation law of a state that literally since the founding of the country has been building, not a haven, but a harbor for corporations. So I don't need to. I always wanted to create a corporation in Hawaii. That way we could have the annual shareholders meeting there. You know, and I could build a damn corporation for showing up at it. But never happened. Uh, I mean, Illinois doesn't suck. Don't get me wrong about it. I incorporated this last corporation in Illinois and they are very receptive to smaller corporations. I, I mean, full disclosure, I screw up sometimes. I file, one time I actually filed my uh, state franchise tax and uh, it's all, everything's electronic, which is awesome. And, and a lot of states are like this too. But for some reason, I forgot to hit the submit button. Well, about six months later, I get a call and it says, Illinois Department of Revenue. You know, I, you know, do I answer it or do I just kill myself now? <laughs> so I answered it. You know, I got my really confident voice. Hello? And a very, very nice uh, woman. She said, uh, I'm calling you because you never filed your franchise tax. Uh, you, you never filed this tax. And I don't remember if it was ST1 or what. But I mean, I, 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 I was there, I did. And she said, well, let me look. I just got the notice to call you. And she said, well, you did it. You just never submitted it. And she said, I'll tell you what. Do I have your permission to hit the submit button? Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and that was it. I mean, so some state, I mean, there are some states where they would, all they do is they'd send some mech warrior to, you know, disassemble my ass. But Illinois is very receptive to, uh, to especially struggling small corporations and all that kind of stuff. <coughs> okay, articles of incorporation, you do it electronically and you submit and it's like within seconds. They go through the form to make sure all the boxes have been filled in and then out comes back out. Well, I'll be darned. This, they call it a case number. It's your state ID. Essentially what they have done, they, approve, they didn't approve. Let me make this clear. 
The government, state and federal, does not approve any filing of any kind. They qualify it. That's the term. It's not an approval. They're not going to do that. But they qualify it. And I got the qualification notice back within, it, it was less than a minute. I, it, in other words, the approved or the qualified articles of incorporation came back to me. That was the birth certificate of the corporation. Literally, that corporation was then recognized as a legal entity. It existed of its own accord under the laws of the state of Illinois. Uh, surprisingly, you were born. <laughs> and the minute you showed up and they filled that paperwork out, you, as a screaming, ugly ass, I mean, have you ever seen an infant? I mean, God damn, I was ugly. I mean, but you're a person separate under the law. Before that moment, law does not recognize you as anything other than the woman who was carrying you. But the minute you come out and that paper is filed, a birth certificate recognizes you as separate under the law. Completely separate. And that's exactly what it is with a corporation. It is separated immediately from its owners, from its founders, from everyone. It exists as itself. The owners are not, are the shareholders. You know, founders got some stock, doesn't matter. The corporation is responsible for itself. And that's something we're going to get into later in the course, that concept of fiduciary duty. Some entities under the law, even though they are legally responsible for all of their own things that they do, they can't. That's where in a corporation, your board of directors comes in as the representatives of the shareholders because they are charged with the fiduciary duty of seeing to it that the corporation prospers. Just like your parents, they are not you. However, under the law, they have the fiduciary duty to see to it that you prosper. That's how the relationship works with a corporation too. The board of directors is not the corporation. They represent the shareholders in that collective effort to benefit the legal entity called the corporation. Now this sounds kind of weird, but I, you would be surprised at how many people, even business people, don't understand this huge thing. A corporation is its own thing. Now, the other part of this, interestingly enough, was that a few moments after I got, and I was doing this in a Business 100 class here some years ago, I actually had them watch this happen. And uh, one uh, late afternoon when I was conducting the class. But the next thing is, I got the Articles of Incorporation qualified. I had the case number from the state of Illinois, the Secretary of State of the state of Illinois. Okay, we're good. The next thing you have to do is then present that to the federal government and say, I need an FEIN, a Federal Employer Identification Number. So once I had the case number, that same class, I just swung it over to the Department of Treasury, uh, Department of Commerce, I'm sorry, of the federal government. They had a website even back then. I couldn't believe they actually had a website. And they said, okay, what did you put in this box on your articles of court? What did you put in this box? What is the case number? And you filled all that out, punched it, and out came a couple of minutes later, the FEIN. That is a corporation's social security number. 
It's just like a person. It is a person. Go ahead. Yeah. Federal Employer Identification Number, the F-E-I-N. Federal Employer Identification Number. So there it all is. You have a birth certificate. You have a Social Security Number. A corporation has a birth certificate and a Social Security Number. Now the F-E-I-Ns don't look like Social Security Numbers. They're two digits, then a dash, and then this uh, string of digits afterward. But whenever you are the corporation is doing something with the federal government, you have to re say the way they uniquely identify it is through your FEIN. Just like you're, you are uniquely identified through your social security number, same thing with a corporation. Interestingly enough, and I don't, I don't know, when I do these state forms, sometimes they ask for the case number, that thing from way back when, Sometimes they ask for the state, a state, it's like a state FEIN. But most of the time, they just say, what's your FEIN when you're filling out a form? So this is really sort of like the unique omnibus identifier of corporations. And this sounds like legal mumbo jumbo, but if you want to create a corporation, well, here it is. This is how it's done. There's some fees involved and costs, but at the same time, every time I've done this, there's almost like a rush. I've created something. And then you realize, okay, now, this is going to just sit here and die unless I, as the primary shareholder, bring it to life and make it something better. I could leave you, madam, I'm your, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but I'm your parent, okay? Now, it was a difficult night, I didn't, <laughs> vodka. But look, <laughs> what I'm trying to get to here is, I could just leave you at the curb. Tried that once, damn kid could follow me, ran. Uh, okay, uh, but as a fiduciary responsibility, it can't do anything unless the owners make it prosper. Just like the kid won't, won't even live unless the uh, guardians or the parents do something. And that's just what a corporation is. Now, there are a couple of different animals in the corporation. I'll mention this to you. <coughs> there is a C Corp, and then there is an S Corp. Now, someone told me there's another one out there now, and I don't even want to try to deal with that. But here's the difference. An S-Corp, the revenue and expenses and the profit flow to the owners a lot like a sole proprietorship. I mean, there's none of this, you know, the dividends, retained earnings. It just all comes down there to the uh, owners as uh, on form K-1 every year. Okay, there were three shareholders, $3,000, so each one had an equal number of shares. So they each get $1,000. No, there's not this complication with how much was paid in dividends, how much was uh, plowed back into the corporation. It's a simplified form. You can't have very many shareholders to do this. And I will tell you something else about it too. Your accounting you learn, it's C-Corp. The S-Corp accounting drives you crazy. Basically, and I'm gonna cover this up. You have to do two sets of books. One, treating it like you learn accounting for C corporations, and then another, which is the way you file taxes. It's weird, because basically in an S corp, the retained earnings never change, because it is presumed that all the money flows out and goes back to the owners. Yeah, I wonder why that mic wasn't working there for a minute. That's kind of odd. Uh, anyway. <laughs>
but the S Corp, and by the way, for God's sake, when the year the, that the corporation is born, when you file your taxes that, that year, be sure to file S Corp election. Don't forget to do that, otherwise, it's going to treat you as a C Corp. I'll tell you why this is really bad. I use tax, uh, tax software called TurboTax. So TurboTax for Business, I filled it out. S Corporation did all it, calculated, filed it. And almost four years later, the IRS came at me and almost ate me alive because I was filing S Corp uh, tax on an S for, uh, for an S Corp. And all they and I was a C corp, and I, the poor son of a bitch uh, that I talked to on the phone, I said, I swear to God, I filled out that form in TurboTax. And he said, Oh yeah. He said, You filed electronically? I said, Yes. TurboTax does not file that form with the electronic filing. <laughs> Fortunately, they, they showed mercy on me and they backdated to the date of corp. Uh, they backdated. I, I got the form, printed it out, and I faxed it over to them that afternoon. And, they, um, and then I sent the hard copy. And they said, okay, whatever, you know, we'll, we'll back you up. You're an S Corp as of February 12th of 2012. And thank God, because otherwise I would have filed four years of fraudulent taxes. I guess the federal prisons weren't, uh, didn't have enough room to keep my egotistical ass, so they decided to cut me slack there at the end. But yeah, in other words, yes, you can do this all on your own. Yes, if you use a lawyer to do it. You don't want to hire a lawyer that just barely passed the bar exam because he'll be no, he or she will be no better than you are. And if you hire a real corporate attorney, a cor an attorney who is versed in corporate law, you're going to pay an insane amount of money. So, you pays your penny and he takes your pick. If you're going to do it yourself, walk carefully. It looks easier than it really is. Anyway, enough of that. that. Yeah. So you said that with a, an S Corp, all of the net income or all of the profits go directly to the Yeah, as dividends. Right. So it, is an S Corp able to invest any of that money? That's just it. How, that, how do they do that? Don't ask me, because that's the thing is that, I mean, that's why I keep two sets of books, damn it. Because I give myself the dividend on K1. And then that stuff goes right back into the company to buy more supplies. So it is, a, uh, so it's behaving like a C-Corp. And I don't know if I'm doing this wrong. It feels, I know it's wrong, but it feels so right. That's right. We can do romantic songs, uh, songs about corporations. <laughs> I'm just trying to give you kind of an overview. You know, in your normal classes, you have, there's the textbook and all this, and it sounds, it can bore you sometimes, but this is what it's like when you actually do this kind of thing. There's just these trips, these pitfalls, and all this kind of stuff, and I, I can't protect you out there, but I can prepare you at least a little bit by telling you what I've seen, and God, I've, I haven't seen everything. Although that one night, in Bangkok, I think I did see everything. <laughs> Make a strong man tremble. Okay. Now, let me get down to this. And we're going to go to C-Corps here. We're not going to talk about S-Corps anymore. Because every time I start talking about them, I start feeling like I should look over my shoulder. Okay. Excuse me. You have the body of the stockholders. 
they are a single entity, at least theoretically. Well, I matter because I am a shareholder. No, you don't. You matter as a member of the group called the shareholders of the corporation. The corporation has one and only one goal. That is to maximize the wealth of the shareholders, period. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. No matter how much you want to have a touchy-feely view of what a corporation's responsibility is, they use terms like stakeholder. Well, the, the customers are one of your stakeholders. Your suppliers are a stakeholder. Mother Earth is a stakeholder. Uh, no. You see, the stockholders are the ones who are the owners. Now, they might want to have some, you know, someday. You, sir, you have a nice yard, okay? Let me tell you about your nice yard. There's a school down the street. <coughs> so every morning, kids run through your yard. In the afternoon, people bring their ugly dogs that shit in your yard. And you could say to yourself, oh, this is okay. They're part of my world. You know what I do? Get out of my property, goddammit! And then I bring out my Mossberg. I don't aim at them. You see, you can have it either way. But you know what? The human race is greedy AF. And they, if you have a share, the shareholders, well, we didn't make quite as much this year to give you as dividends because we made the world better. You're going to be surprised at how many of those shareholders say, you should have made my ass better. You should have made my 401k better. You should have made my retirement better. You should have made that meal that I had last night better. You will be surprised that when people are put between self-interest and other diffuse entities, how quickly they are going to say, my ass comes first. So you think about that if you want to think that a corporation has other responsibilities besides maximizing the wealth of the shareholders. The stockholders elect a board of directors that will make the decisions, the top level decisions of the corporation. Otherwise, you've got to go to the stockholders for every question you have. Now, these are called the directors. The officers are something else. These are the directors. Now, they have, some are titled positions. The titles would be the president, one or more vice presidents, you will have a treasurer, and you will have a secretary. You'll have there are other ones, other name positions. And then you may have members at large. They could be outside directors from other industries or, and they could be inside. Some boards are very tight, seven, nine. Then you have some boards that are really big, but I mean, that's all over the place. Now here's an interesting thing, and this, this is a lecture where there's so much detail in this. And then the math, you're almost grateful. It's just arithmetic math, Excel math and all that. But I mean, this part could get tedious. Uh, okay, 
the way corporate in the United States, there we have corporations have ungodly numbers of laws, laws that we have to abide by. Regulatory agencies that have to do with the Treasury, the IRS, regulatory agencies, environmental agencies, and safety uh, agencies, and they're at the federal level and the state level. And sometimes it's just you despair at how many regulators there are. But above that is an overriding theory that goes back to the free markets, the laissez-faire, leave it alone. The government does not tell the corporation how to form its board of directors. It doesn't say, well, this many of this, this of this, this of this. That is entirely up to the shareholders, how that works, and the bylaws of the corporation, the bylaws especially. This is not the case in much of the rest of the world, especially in Europe. Now in Europe, there are actual European Union laws that say how many insiders, how many outsiders you have to have on the board. It even, if I am, if I am remembering right, Germany, requires that a government official be on the board of directors, of all things. This is getting into a new world. We've got, uh, as I mentioned, one of our newest uh, faculty members in finance, insurance, and law, her specialization is corporate governance. In other words, crafting well rounded boards of directors that have the components to make for inclusion, diversity, and success all at once. Because we know that we're never gonna get the federal government to impose on us. So what we can do is speak to the corporations that have a more enlightened view and show Look, you do it this way. You construct a board that has these different, uh, a number of outside directors, uh, uh, has specific directors that pay attention to specific matters of governance and all this kind of stuff. It works. And the whole theory of this is hot right now. And there are corporations that are greatly paying attention to what we're telling them. That doesn't mean that we need to be Europeans or Japanese, but at the same time, it doesn't hurt for us to, you know, like come out of the 19th century, uh, fat old white boys in a back room smoking cigars as the board of directors. Mm. Okay, now here's the interesting thing. I gotta get back to stock here because the traditional standard stock model is that let's say that we have five director positions. A, B, A president, B vice president, C treasurer, D secretary, and we have one member at large, and E. Now this is specified by the bylaws of the corporation, this set of governing rules. And those can be long. And if you amend those, it takes a vote of the, of the shareholders. Okay, you, madam, own a share of stock in Megacorp. One share of common stock. That means that you have a vote for one vote for each position on the board every year at the annual shareholders meeting. You have one vote for each of those. <coughs> now in some bylaws, you could actually concentrate 
you have actually five different votes. You could concentrate all of your votes on just the president position. There's someone who's running against the current president, and you think the current president is it just sucks. Okay, you could focus all five of your votes on that alternate candidate. Now, that's not true in all corporations. Again, it depends on the bylaws. But there is that possibility of cumulative. Now, the next thing is that the board of directors will send you a proxy statement. And that proxy statement says, sign this, and you are letting us have your votes. And of course, we'll vote for ourselves. So in other words, this could be a slate. You proxy, and then the slate gets your proxy, and they vote for themselves so they can continue what they were doing from the year before. That's pretty normal. However, you don't have to sign the proxy. You can go to the shareholders meeting and vote. Now they're doing it electronically, but one way or the other, you can vote your own shares or you can sign the proxy. Yeah. Not necessarily. Let's say you. You have a counter slate. You could send out to a shareholder and say, look, this board, this slate sucks. Look what they've done. The corporation's stock is going nowhere. Proxy your shares to us and we'll vote those sons of bitches out. That's a counter proxy. It's part of a hostile takeover because these might actually be directors of a competing corporation or a greedy son of a bitch that wants to take over your success, the successful enterprise. Yeah. What's a counter proxy? It's I vote for another slate that is not the current slate. <coughs> you don't have to do either. You could vote your own. But the counter slate is there. It's possible. You can do that. Now here's another chink in the mess. You could have classes of stock, what the book calls classified stock. You could have class A and you could have class B. I still can't figure it out and I wish I could remember what corporation it was. On their um, balance sheet, there's a place down in the owner's equity section where it actually lists the number of shares of different classes outstanding. And I saw A, B, and C. Now, the, this is primarily to the purpose of the original founders giving themselves a class of stock that has super majority voting instead of the class B stock which has one vote per share the class A stock has 10 votes per share this ensures that it would be next to impossible for a takeover not impossible and I'll tell you a story about that here in a minute I'll show you an example of that right now Berkshire Hathaway, Baby Burks, one vote per share, Warren Buffett and his cronies are BRKAs. Warren isn't going to let you take over his corporation. Those are super majority. That makes sure that 
no one could ever kick him and his old cronies out of the board of directors. They can just vote themselves in. It's not even worth it's not even worth signing the proxy to them from your they'll send out proxy to the bees vote for us well why why should I because you're gonna vote for yourselves anyway you have plenty of votes to put yourselves in forever there are there are so uh, always be aware that in the ideal each vote counts for the same amount but each share counts for the same amount of votes. But in reality, there are corporations that have this Class A stock. Ford has it. Several others have it, too. So it's not a guarantee. There was an example. The Packard family had strong power to keep Hewlett-Packard in their control. They made a mistake some years back and they hired a CEO who was working for a predator and she managed to figure out a way to get a few of the insiders votes on her side with this hostile takeover uh, group and they wiped out the, they, they took away the uh, HP from the family from controlled by the family so there you are, it can happen. Another thing about this. Now this gets us into the world. But well, anyway. So the board of directors is elected every year on the, at the annual shareholders meeting. And they, then the board of directors will hire the executive management the chief executive officer, the chief operating officer, the chief financial officer, the chief information officer. <coughs> the board of directors does that. They also make the decision on dividends that are issued and other top level matters of the corporation. Always supposedly operating in the interest of the shareholders who voted them into their offices. The problem with this goes back to corporate governance. In far too many large corporations, the board of directors and the executive officers are all working for their team and their team involves Wall Street and interests that are not necessarily the shareholders and so you have to appreciate that one of the one of the reasons we see the European model is to break the back of that so that we can go forward without this constant uh, overcompensating executives, making decisions that are in the interests of the board and the executives and Wall Street that might not necessarily be in the interests of the common shareholders themselves. And so we are at a disadvantage in that regard here in the United States. We can't break the back of the old boys network. All we can do is work with better, more enlightened corporations to water down their influence on the economy and the society. Those uh, traditional types of relationships here. How successful is it going to be? Uh, don't get too excited about it happening. But anyway, now, moving forward from that, the goal, as I said, is to maximize the wealth of the shareholders. Now, what does that mean? Do you break the law? The reality is that you will to the extent that the cost of doing so is less than what you get from doing it. That's just how it works. And that's unfortunate, but that is corporate life. You don't some corporations are much stricter about abiding by laws. 
and some are very loose and they are uh, practically defiant about open, openly violating uh, laws, federal and state laws. It's just a matter, what kind of executive management do you have? What kind of backing of the board of directors do they have? And at the end of the day, uh, how far can you push breaking the law before the cost of doing that last act is more than the benefit from doing it. That's just how it works. The courts, as much as you'll hear the crocodile tears from my fellow conservatives, the courts are the mitigating factor. They can make it hurt like hell for a corporation that just wants to violate laws. An example of that is a company that many of you are familiar with. I am too familiar with it. It's called White Castle. Any of you ever eaten a White Castle? You should. It's your first chance to have real diarrhea uh, and cramps. But a case that was settled, and most corporations were abiding by it, that you could not use personally identifying electronic uh, metrics on your employees. This goes back to the 2000s. So White Castle just violated the law. Employees had to do thumb scans, eye scans to, uh, for their time cards and all of this. And they just kept doing it year after year. Why? Because no one was telling, no one was making them stop and it made their timekeeping system extraordinarily more efficient. Lower costs, higher profit. So of course they would do it. Until just this year, they were taken to court. And they were, it was clearly, they were violating federal and state law. You can't do this. Well, what they argued was, okay, this was a violation fine us. I think the fine would be $5,000 per violation. The judge said, no, it's a violation per person per time that it was done. Meaning that White Castle is right now facing billions, tens of billions of dollars in fines. And so maybe that's the only way you can convince some corporations to stop behaving like that. It's up to you to decide that. But let me get you into proxy fights. Okay, there are different versions, different flavors of proxy fights. Usually, we talk about a hostile takeover. Now, there are mergers or acquisitions that are friendly, where one company is acquired by another in the securities industry. Recently, Schwab took over TD Ameritrade. It was a friendly, they said merger, but Schwab was saying, we took them over. Yeah, we're the big dog. The reality is that TD Ameritrade is going to come out on top because it's their, their people's software, their people's everything. So sometimes it's just a friendly, put two together, you realize economies of scale through this kind of a merger or an acquisition. And then there's the hostile versions. You see, the existing board of directors does not want to be replaced. And you are going to replace them. You're going to replace them, fire the executives, put in your own people. That's a hostile takeover. The Black Knight is going to do several things. One is the Black Knight will start to buy shares. So it has votes of its own. Once it hits a certain percentage, it has to notify the SEC so everyone knows it's going after the target. Now, that will, of course, cause the stock price to go up. So as you buy more shares, it will get more expensive for you to gather enough momentum to take it over. Now, the board of directors that's existing is going to do its own work to try to stop this. It can do what are called poison pills. A poison pill is an action that will protect the existing board of directors. 
a corporate action that will protect the existing board of directors. A poison pill is an action that will protect the existing board of directors. They come in all kinds of different flavors. It can be as simple. The board of directors has passed a, uh, a rule that if any executive manager or board participant is, is removed, he or she gets a golden parachute of some enormous amount of money, which means is that if you win, the existing board, the executive managers all get themselves a huge pile of cash. So the great deal you were looking for becomes rather expensive very quickly. Another thing that the board can do, I mean, there are so many back in the day, it was fun. The existing board of directors could simply borrow, issue a massive amount of debt. Yeah, well, we were thinking of these projects and we probably should just issue $500 million in debt, senior subordinated 8% uh, coupon bonds. What that does is, of course, that leverages the hell out of the corporation, making it a much riskier corporation to take over. So that makes it a little bit less tasty for the, for the Black Knight. Okay, another one is, okay, I'm the, board, I'm the head of the board that is existing, and she's the head of the Black Knight group. What I can do is I can just simply go to you. You're a corporation. What do you say you and me, we get together? Have a merger. Yeah, that'll work. Okay, that will definitely work. So what we'll do is we'll see to it, you buy stock in our corporation and you'll just take a position by buying the stock. Well, what that does is that you buy stock in the corporation, that will drive the stock price up. You're already driving the stock price up by your buying to take majority control. This whole handle is in there buying stock to keep us in control. So suddenly that stock that was $25 a share is now reaching $75 a share and it gets darn expensive for you to finish your takeover. Okay? And what's hilarious about it is the minute you give up and walk away, the stock price collapses and your stock that you bought ends up being a white elephant. Okay? White Knight, that's another one. There are, there are a lot of different ones too, if you're interested in that. I used to do a course years ago in hostile takeover strategies and counter strategies. <coughs> but those are all there on the table. And so this sets up the backdrop for the intrinsic price of stock versus the market price of stock, which is what we do on Wednesday. But for today, that's all I have for you. I thank you.